Welcome to Respect Life Radio. This is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And today our special guest is Mark Sanders, a counselor for St. Raphael's Counseling. And for those who may not have heard, St. Raphael's has come together with our Sacred Heart Counseling here at Catholic Charities. So now it's all under Catholic Charities. Mark is a counselor who specializes in addictions. And Mark, thanks for being here today. Oh, thank you very much for having me today. Um, So I think one of the reasons we had asked you to come, because we know addictions affect many, many families and many, many lives. And so what I'd like to get an idea of is what kind of addictions do you encounter? What does that look like? Just maybe in a broad scale, and then we'll get in a little more focused on how it affects families. Well, it's very interesting because they're, obviously addictions have been around since the dawn of time. And depending on location, depending on age group, you see a lot of different kinds of addictions. But what we're seeing right now is just a wider range, I think, than we've ever seen before. Uh, we always have cocaine, heroin, we have those sorts of issues. In Colorado, lucky us, we were the first to legalize marijuana. So right. we've also seen a lot of big changes with that, both with adolescents and adults. And it's very interesting because part of my job at, uh, well, what was Regina Chaley Clinical Services and is now St. Raphael's, was to work with parishes to talk about addiction issues. So I would go meet with parish priests, pastors, deacons, and wanted to talk about addiction issues. And I figured we'd talk a lot about alcohol, we talk about marijuana. A lot of them wanted to talk about pornography issues. They wanted to talk about technology issues. Those were the two big things that really came up a lot at parishes as well. Right. So, so we've seen addictions move beyond just the, just the drug itself. It also has moved into what we call behavioral addictions, where people are just hooked on a variety of things that start to cause a lot of problems in their life. So are addictions addictions, whether it's technolo- technology, pornography, drugs, alcohol, is it pretty much the same in terms of the brain and how it affects people? We see a lot of the similar things. We see uh, the researchers who do neurology research will look at things like dopamine release. So the dopamine release you get from, say, ingesting cocaine might be pretty similar from what you get, say, at gambling. When you win Mm -hmm. and all the lights go off and all the quarters crash down, you get a dopamine release. We also see that in various ways with even with things like Facebook, with the likes that you get on Instagram, with technology like that. Uh, What you also see, too, especially with the technology, is you see the withdrawal issues where when you stop a behavior, your body misses it. And then you also see the tolerance. You see that a lot with things like Internet pornography, where you start off at a, a basic lower level and then it takes more and more of whatever the thing is to get an effect from your body. So in that way, the behavioral addictions are, are pretty similar to the addiction process you see with other drugs. So is there anything that people with addictions have in common? I mean, is there something that maybe they are um, more likely to become someone addicted to something? Is there a personality trait or is it just pretty much random? Do you know what? It's, it's really interesting because it seems like addiction is a pretty wide-ranging issue. So, for instance, when we look at Down syndrome, so Down syndrome is a particular issue on a particular chromosome, and you either have it or you don't. With addiction, we may at some point, maybe 20, 30, 50 years from now, we may be able to understand this particular combination of genes makes it more likely that this person is going to have this. 
but it's, it's really hard to know. We do know that there is a genetic component. So for instance, if a biological parent has a substance use issue, that makes it much more likely that, 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 that those parents' child uh, would have an issue. Okay. But it's not necessarily 100%. Uh, we know that the environment plays a big role in that as well. And we know that with some of the addictions that are out now, they are almost created in a way that make them more addicting. So like with technology, for instance, there are things that are being done. People who do the video games in Silicon Valley actually employ behavioral psychologists to make some of these games more addicting. So it's so seems- trying to create addiction. Absolutely, yeah. So, so that keeps them on those, those platforms, that keeps them on those games longer. So there's a lot of that that goes on where there's just, there's, there's kind of the sense of everybody is susceptible to it, but then there are variations in terms of how susceptible we are. And if you are addicted to something, so you're addicted to pornography or technology or gambling, are you more likelihood of being addicted to something else as well? Or is it just pretty much, hey, you have an addiction, you're not going to be addicted to drugs too? What, what does that look like? It actually seems like when you have one addiction, it makes it more likely that you'll be addicted to other things. Okay. And one of the challenges we see especially is when people stop using one substance or one behavior and then they shift over to something else. So I saw this working uh, elsewhere when I was working, especially with adolescent substance use. Uh, I had a lot of young people who were on marijuana, and marijuana stays in your system for fairly long. So sometimes you would see them, because they were on drug tests for probation or something, you would actually see them stop marijuana use, and they, they would go, say, to LSD or to a hallucinogen or, or something else. They would still get a high of some sort. It might be a different high, but a lot of people then seem to be drawn not even necessarily to a substance or to a behavior, but to the, the, the feeling of being high itself. Right. So you specialize in dealing with people who are addictions right. uh, as a counselor at uh, St. Raphael Counseling. Who are coming to you? Is this young people? Is it older people? Is it families trying to get help for their kids? What, and there's probably no general rule, but what are some of the things that you see as a counselor in terms of the people that need help with this? Well, I think you see a wide range of that. Obviously, you see the people who are coming in choosing for themselves that it's time to get clean. But unfortunately, those people are, can be far, few and far between. A lot of times you'll see more families. I, I see a lot of families who are coming in, including families who have adult children who have substance use issues. And the adults are, the, the parents are actually seemingly more concerned than the children are. And the children might be 40 or 50 years old. Right. So, and, and, be, and when you came in, we were kind of talking about some of those things. So can you give an example of what that might look like? Sure. Well, there was, there was one family that I worked with where the mother ended up being a caretaker for her adult son, and then her adult son ended up overdosing. And she was dealing with an awful lot of grief around that. Uh, because th as we know, addictions touch everybody. They touch the person using, but they also touch the family, the extended family. Uh, they, they open up a lot of guilt and shame. They, they open up a lot of things that sometimes will keep people from seeking out treatment. Because as you know, a lot of people, when they get into addictions, they have a really hard time getting away from them. So the idea of, yes, I said I was going to quit doing whatever. I said I was going to stop using cocaine. I said I was going to stop using heroin. But I only made it for a day, or I made it for two days, and then I got sick, and then I went back to it. You see a lot of shame, and you see a lot of people then who go to multiple treatments, never seems to work for them, 
and then they, they just give up. But then you've got the parents, you've got the extended families who obviously love and care very much about their children and don't want them to die. They see the statistics, they know what's out there. So they will do whatever they can to to help their child, but sometimes the child doesn't want that help. So there's probably a lot of steps before someone actually comes to you. Right. I mean, they've, they've, they're dealing with a lot of difficult situations. It's very emotional, not only on the parents, but other siblings potentially. So if somebody's listening here today and they have a child, a friend, a neighbor, whoever it might be, who's struggling with addictions, what are some of the things that they can do, one, maybe to help themselves, but two, to encourage somebody to realize, hey, you have a problem and there is help out there? What, what, what advice could we give somebody like that? Well, I think a, a couple things. I think one is for the family members who are not addicted, the ones who are trying to help. Uh, boundaries are a huge, huge problem. Uh, a book that I recommend a lot that I think we should get in the 10,000s and just drop from the sky is uh, Boundaries uh, by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. That is a great book that really talks about the challenges of interacting with other people, especially when the other people are not changing in the way that you want them to do. Is that something they could get on Amazon or just Absolutely. type it in? Okay, Absolutely. Great. They can get that anywhere. They, I, I actually heard Dr. Henry Cloud on a podcast recently, and this is the 25th anniversary of this book. They've sold 7 million copies of just this book. Wow. So obviously, as a country, we need a lot of work with boundaries. Because the, the problem is that a lot of times parents, extended family, they really, really want to help the person that they're working with, that their their child, their sibling, whoever. But some of the things that they do actually make the process worse. So like what? What would be an example? Well, we talk about that? things like enabling behaviors where uh, you have somebody – and again, it gets very tricky because say you have somebody who is a heroin user who continues to live on the street, continues to struggle with this – and then you let this person come back and live with you, and then the person robs from you or, or does something, and then you let that person back in, or you don't have certain requirements for them. I think there's no th- consequences exactly, to actions. Exactly. And, and again, I'm not saying you kick everybody out, because obviously these are people absolutely in need of our assistance. And, and the parents, the siblings, extended family are going to be the most likely people almost always to get that person into treatment. But you also have to be careful that you don't get into situations where you're just allowing somebody to get along with the behavior they're doing without hoping, helping to force them into making some kind of change with their life. Okay, so we're listening to Respect Life Radio. Our guest is Mark Sanders, counselor for St. Raphael's Counseling, and we're talking about addictions and how they affect families and what can families do. Uh, it is a difficult situation. How... When you counsel somebody, does faith play into your counseling and helping them deal with the not only the addiction piece, but, you know, why would God allow this to happen? You know, that kind of thing. Well, I love the fact that I can utilize faith in the practice that I do. At St. Raphael's, I, I've been a part of our Catholic charities here for nearly two years, and I'd worked previously uh, at a number of secular programs. And... I have just always had the sense that addictions really talk about the sense of a God-shaped hole in us. We all want God, we all are built for God, we all need God, but my gosh, do we fill ourselves with all sorts of things that have nothing to do with God. Everything but. 
And I think sometimes the secular counseling really loses that. They lose that idea that there might be something underneath. They'll get into the ideas of the, the physiology or they'll get into the ideas of what happens with brain chemistry. But it can't just be a change in brain chemistry. There's never going to be a magic pill that somebody's going to be given that's going to change the addiction process. There has to be other things that, that fill that person's life. Right. And, and I know many people, uh, even some family members who have tried counseling in, you know, several different times, mostly secular, and they're just like, it's not working. We're not right. going to do it. Right. And then they'll go to a, a counselor such as yourself where God is now part of it, and it just seems to change the whole dynamic. It's not a magic pill, like you said. Right, right. But it does change the whole mindset and the thinking, and it does introduce that God-sized hole that you were talking about and how you fill it with God and not some of that other stuff. Well, and that's one of the big challenges for a lot of people. And, and I think if you look at, if somebody's trying to get away from an addiction behavior, one of the biggest things has to be that you can't just remove that behavior and not fill it with something else. Right. Because a lot of times that's how you get one person switching from one addiction to another. So for instance, there might be other reasons why somebody's using. So for instance, let's say I'm 15 years old and I get really anxious a lot of the time. And I learn that if I drink some alcohol, that actually helps me feel better. So I do this over and over and over again. So my body learns that when I get anxious, the way that I deal with that is with alcohol. Well, now I'm 25. I get arrested for a DUI. I can't drink. Now I'm left without a coping mechanism. And now I'm left with this gigantic ball of anxiety. And if I don't fill it with something else that's going to be more effective, what's then is going to happen is that I'm going to probably fill it with another type of an addiction right. or something else that is going to hopefully alleviate the anxiety, but it may just cause more problems than it was worth. So it sounds like some addictions, and maybe many, I don't know, uh, it, it could be self-medicating. Absolutely. Uh, is that how a lot of them get started? I mean, it's not my intent, hey, I want to become an addict. Right, right. It's just you have some kind of issue, you try to solve it with something, um, and you're not really thinking, wow, I'm going to become addicted to this. It's just I'm living in the moment. Right. And, and I, I haven't talked to many people who are like, boy, I really wanted to become an alcoholic when I was right, growing up. Right. You don't hear that. Uh, there is a huge connection between uh, mental health issues, so things like depression, anxiety, attention deficit disorder. Um, what we're learning more and more in the last couple of years, especially as the field, is that trauma plays a huge role in that. Uh, we see huge, huge correlations between people who have experienced substance use issues and have experienced trauma at some point in their past. And the challenge becomes a lot of times that the substances work. If you have attention deficit disorder and you use certain, certain drugs, that may actually work, and it may work better sometimes than some of the medications that are given out. So people then very easily fall into that behavior of, I don't feel very good, so I'm going to take this, and then that makes me feel better. And then they think, well, I have control over this. I'll just stop this whenever I want. But then when something happens where they maybe have to stop it, they don't have the opportunity to do it. They, their body just doesn't react in the way they thought it was going to. So how do we as parents or friends or relatives, is there a way to prevent some of that? I mean, you're talking about if you can catch that early. Absolutely. And, and you get started trying to take shortcuts, you get the help that you really need. And, and again, with faith being a major component, how do we as parents see something like this starting so that we can kind of nip it early? 
Well, one example of that that I, I remember from a couple years ago, I, I worked with doing a group for adolescents, high school students who had been caught drinking. And part of their punishment was they had to come listen to me with their parents for six weeks on a Thursday. Not 27 minutes. Like Not 27 today. minutes. Okay. No, they, they, they got me for about seven, eight hours here. So this one girl was there. She had gotten caught drinking. And we talked about media. We talked about the impact of media on alcohol, how people say, gosh, it's so stressful today. I'm going to go have a drink. It was when the Fraser Crane show was on, and, and they were always talking about, it's been a really long day. Let's go have a drink. So we talked about this in the media impact. So the next week, the girl came in with her mother again, and she said, I have to tell you what happened. So they went to Home Depot, and they were getting some, some plants to, to work in their yard. And there was a really long line at the checkout. And when they got to the front, they said something to the checkout lady like, wow, it's really busy in here. And the woman's like, yeah, I really need a drink. And they both looked at each other. And that became about a half an hour discussion on the way home about why do we do those sorts of things? Why do we immediately jump to a mood-altering substance when we get stressed out? And why does our culture reinforce that? So one of the things I would tell parents is, to look for what we refer to as teachable moments like this. And we see this in other areas too. When Robin Williams uh, committed suicide a couple years ago, that became a huge talking point for young fans who loved his work, who couldn't believe that this funny, wonderful guy was struggling with something that would, would lead him to take his life. And it became a talkable moment for the, the, the young people and their parents. So looking for those kinds of opportunities is a, is a great, great chance for, for parents to make an impact. So one, it's an awareness, but two, we have to spend time with our kids because if we don't know them, we're not even going right, to know that these right. are potential issues. And if we're not spending time with them, then we don't share those teachable moments where we can actually have a conversation that we both just witnessed something. And lecturing is most likely not going to work. I got about eight minutes into my first session with an adolescent before I realized that lecturing them does not work very much. No, all of a sudden you're tuned down and it's just kind of wah, 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 Absolutely. Right? Nobody's listening to you. Um, so if somebody wanted to get a hold of you guys, I know you go out and do talks. So potentially right. uh, going to schools, you guys are at Catholic schools, maybe right. going to parishes. But if somebody wanted to say, I have this problem, I don't know how to handle it, do they just contact St. Raphael Counseling? Is that the best way? And then they'll get set up with somebody? What's that look like? Yeah, absolutely. They can just go ahead and call our main number, and we offer free consultations. So the first session is a risk-free, it's a free session. If you're calling about an addiction issue, you can ask for me specifically. Okay. Uh, if you don't remember my name, you could just ask for the drug and addiction guy because I'm the only one who really does it there. Um, so I would be happy to meet with you if your parents who are struggling with an adolescent or adult parents who are struggling with an adult child, I'm happy to meet to see if we're a good fit for you. And so that phone number is 720-377-1359. Again, 720-377-1359. And people can also access that on the web if they go to Catholic Charities website, ccdenver.org. You can click on the counseling link and get some more information there as well. I would imagine you're very busy with talks and yes. counseling. Has the legalization of marijuana increased your workload? It's changed it a lot. And I think what has been very interesting is that the people who marketed the legalization of marijuana did a fantastic job. 
because what we saw is for a lot of young people who really historically have probably seen marijuana as no big deal, now what you're seeing is a lot of parents who are saying the same sort of things. I hear parents who say things like, well, it's not as bad as alcohol. What the issue that has happened with the legalization here is how it has changed so much of the impact of marijuana. So like for instance, uh, so when Jimi Hendrix was playing Woodstock back in the 60s, if you smoked a joint, you might get 4 to 5% THC, and THC is the active ingredient in marijuana. Right. You go into a, uh, to a shop now, you might get 25, 30, 35% THC. And on top of that, there's a, a type of it called dabbing, where you're using very, very pure THC that might be 80, 90, 95% pure THC. So the potency is just off the charts. Absolutely. So what you're seeing is sometimes you're even seeing parents who are like, well, I smoked pot back in the 70s. It was no big deal then. There was always a, an understanding what's not even physically addicting. It's no big deal. So you have a lot of young people who may already be heading in that direction. You've got the media who's really out there promoting this as no big deal. Um, pick up the Westward magazine. It's, uh, it's about four pages of movie reviews and about 80 pages of marijuana ads. So you see those kind of situations. And unfortunately, what happens is that the young people, and it's not just young people, it's, it's other people as well who will smoke. And then all of a sudden, they won't realize how impactful it is in their life. And they'll think, well, it's just marijuana. I could stop this at any time. And we know from research that long-term marijuana use affects your relationships, affects you not usually doing very well with jobs, it affects legal situations, those sorts of things. So what it has done is it's taken something that used to be a little bit, I mean, I don't know how, uh, you know, kind of counterculture it's been for a long time. I mean, obviously it's been out there for, for a long time. But it's almost made it where if you are not engaging in these behaviors, that you have to be counterculture to not engage in this. And yeah. it's really changed the way family dynamics are with that. The, the parents aren't as concerned about this as they used to be. And it's more highly addictive because of the THC levels. Right. Is that correct? Right. And so my guess is, you know, you see kids who are doing that, parents saying it's okay, and then it can lead to even worse things. I mean, that's bad enough, right, but it can right. lead to worse things. And then if you can't hold a job and if you're doing those things, I know we were talking earlier that you come to Samaritan House, uh, the homeless shelter downtown for Catholic Charities, and do uh, programs, you do group sessions, and people are like, yeah, I'm homeless. That's, so fu that's fine. I mean, we've seen a lot of people coming to Denver willing to be homeless just so they can uh, smoke weed. Right. And, and the medical marijuana piece is very interesting, too, because it's not medicine in the way that other things are medicine. Like, for instance, if you get a prescription for that, if you get a prescription for, say, Prozac for a depression, it's going to say take 10 milligrams or 20 milligrams or 30 milligrams. With marijuana, there is nothing like that. You get a prescription, quote unquote, a prescription to smoke as much as you want. Oh, there's no limit. It doesn't no. tell you how many. No. Okay. No, I didn't realize that. Because it varies. It varies on the potency of what you're smoking. It varies on, on your own uh, constitution and your body. It, it varies in a lot of different things. So a lot of people get sucked into that sense of, well, I'm taking medicine. And again, this is where the marketing has done a really good job. Now, there may be some benefits to that. There may be some benefits that research will uncover. Uh, but we don't know that yet. And we know that there are a lot of problems that come along with it. You were mentioning a success story, and we are down the last couple minutes. I'd like for you to talk about that success story, because I think people need to have hope. Absolutely. That this isn't a, you know, a dead-end road with no light at the end yeah. of the tunnel kind of thing. Yeah, one of my first 
jobs out of graduate school was I was working in a program for men who were paroled from state prison. And they lived in this program for about eight or nine months. And it was very difficult because a lot of them had been in and out of jail, in and out of prison for years. They all had addiction issues. They all had mental health issues. And we would talk among staff like, like we would really lose a lot of money if we were betting who was going to be successful or not. Because sometimes you see people who looked really good. They had lots of support. And you would think this person really has it going. And they wouldn't. And there was this one particular guy who was – he was in his late 40s at the time who was really struggling with alcohol issues throughout his whole life. He had never been married, never really held down a job. So we were really wondering how he was going to do. And throughout the course, he, he completed the program. He was there for eight months. And this was a secular program. But during this process, he actually ended up joining the Catholic Church. He went through RCIA, uh, actually became a, uh, a lector at the church, and – in the process of this, also met another woman who was in her late 40s, who also had mental health issues, who also had never been married before. And they came together and they got married in the church. And one of the first times after I'd relocated to Denver, I went back to, to Pittsburgh and was able to, to uh, went to church and I actually met him there. And it was amazing to see how well he was doing. And it, it just, whenever I think about it's hopeless, no one ever can get away from this, that you might as well give up. I think of this guy, and I think of multiple others that we don't have time to talk about today. I wouldn't do this job. I wouldn't show up to do these things if I didn't think there was some hope. Yeah, and There's hope, always hope. Yeah, and that's one of the theological virtues, so we better have hope or Absolutely. we have nothing, right? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, again, this is Respect Life Radio. We're wrapping up here with Mark Sanders, a counselor from St. Raphael's Counseling. And we've been talking about addictions, how it affects families, but one of the most important things to know is there is help out there. And so to reach out to St. Raphael's, again, the phone number to do that would be 720-377-1359. It's a huge problem. It breaks up families. It breaks up marriages. Uh, it sends kids into a place they don't need to be, who they may end up self-medicating because what they see, see from their parents. Um, I just really appreciate all the efforts that you make, especially getting out into the community and getting out into the schools. One-on-one is great. We need that, obviously. But the more people we can talk to to make them aware of what's going on and what they can do and that there is help, is huge. So again, if there is interest, if there is a challenge in your family, reach out to St. Raphael's Counseling. If it's an addiction issue specifically, ask for Mark Sanders and they'll make sure that we get you some information, we'll get you seen and try to help you move forward and kick this and bringing God into the equation. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Have a great day.